Trust you're having a good week. We are in 2 Thessalonians tonight, chapter 2. Interesting section of scripture related to the day of the Lord and the Antichrist. He'd really like to probably come on the scene about right now, but he's still being held back, as we will talk about here tonight. Yeah, I think so. The devil certainly is always wanting to forward his agenda, that's for sure. And uh, we are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 through 12 tonight. The Restrainer and the Lawless One is what I've titled the message. The Restrainer and the Lawless One. And let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our study time together. Lord, again, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your salvation, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we live in a broken world. Uh, we see it all around us. Uh, depravity is everywhere evident. But uh, we thank you for the truth of the scriptures, uh, the anchor that we have in these last days. And so, Lord, encourage our hearts tonight as we consider the scripture. Uh, yes, uh, the devil has his uh, designs, but you are sovereign. And uh, not until the restrainer is removed will that lawless one, the Antichrist, be able to have his sway uh, in the world. So, uh, Lord, commit our study to you. Pray for the ongoing Awana ministry, youth group, all these ministries would be used of you and blessed of you this evening. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Well, uh, you note on the overhead, we have worked, uh, it's uh, the day of the Lord, uh, day of God's judgment. We've worked our way down here to chapter 2, clarifying issues surrounding the day of the Lord judgment. The, there was some confusion on the scene at Thessalonica. Uh, they were expecting deliverance. Uh, remember in chapter 1, uh, they got saved, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, they got saved to wait for his son from heaven. I mean, they were saved in a waiting position. I mean, they got saved and they were waiting for uh, the son to come from heaven who raised, uh, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. You go into chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, the wrath to come that he's talking about is the day of the Lord, wrath. I mean, that's the whole context of of the book, really, of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. But now they've been going through some tremendous persecution, and some teachers have come on the scene who are saying, you know what, the reason we're going through all this is because we're in the day of the Lord. And uh, so there was some confusion because of this. Paul brings some clarification saying, really, the fact of persecution doesn't mean we're in the day of the Lord. It really is just a demonstration that you are kingdom citizens. As God's people, we should expect persecution. So it doesn't prove you're in the day of the Lord. It just proves you're kingdom citizens if you're suffering for Christ's sake. And secondly, it proves that God is righteous for ultimately bringing judgment on the world, which he is going to do. Uh, he is righteous for bringing judgment on them for how they have persecuted and oppressed his people. So he brings out those two points in uh, chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians. Uh, now, as we get to uh, second, uh, the second chapter here, he also brings this correction in terms of there's a couple of milestones or markers uh, that will indicate you've come into the day of the Lord. Some things have got to be in place to start with. Uh, number one, there has to be the departure, um, the falling away, the, the departure, as I would see it, which is the rapture. And then, secondly, the man of sin has to be revealed. And he's going to be revealed in a seven-year covenant. We know that's what really marks the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel, what we call the seven-year tribulation period. Those two things have to be in place, and they really go together, as we have talked about. Well, 
he had told them these things, but now he picks up on this. Let's pick it up. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. Who wants to read that for us? Second Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. Okay, Vince, go ahead. Again, he says, uh, and uh, now you know. He keeps telling these people what they know. Uh, they should have really kind of been consistent with apostolic teaching. We know they knew some of these things because remember he just said in verse 5 there, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So it's not like it's brand new ground. Uh, he had already covered uh, this with them, but they need reinforcement. And so he's bringing the reinforcement at this point. And uh, so he says, now you know what is restraining, uh, the restraining ministry. I take it, uh, and we will talk more about this as we go along, but the restrainer is the Holy Spirit working through the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world right now is largely in conjunction with the church. Uh, this is a church age, and, and what he's doing, he's doing through the church, including his restraining uh, ministry. But he says, now you know what is restraining. Uh, they knew exactly what was restraining. We uh, argue about it a little bit, right? Theologians go round and round. What is the restraining? Is it the government? Uh, is it, uh, you know, some other f force of some kind that has some power? Well, um, I'm convinced uh, what is restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene uh, really, in effect, to prevent the Antichrist from coming on the scene is to exercise power over Satan, who is the one who is behind the Antichrist. So who's restraining the power of the devil today? Uh, is it the government? I don't think so. Uh, no, only God can do this. Only God has power over Satan in this sense. Hey, what do you know? Where's John at? John, are you up there? No. Andrew's up there. I just want you to know my clicker works. Anyway, so. Okay, I might. You just never know. Uh, anyway, the language here is significant. In verse 6, what is restraining is neuter participle, uh, while in verse 7, the masculine participle, he who restrains is used. Uh, what accounts for the gender change from neuter to masculine concerning the restrainer? That's a great question. Uh, so, and this becomes a debate here. The restrainer must be a greater force than Satan because it is the power of Satan, verse 9, that is being held back. Only God qualifies for this role. We note that both genders, neuter and masculine, are used in reference to the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John. So, uh, you know, so that, that is uh, not a total anomaly. Um, okay. Just checking. It does work. Uh, the sense is that verse 6 is emphasizing the reality of a restraining force, while verse 7 emphasizes his personage. Uh, but the same reality is in view in both verses, namely the person of the Holy Spirit. That, that's my view. Uh, I believe that it's the Holy Spirit is this r restraining uh, reality here. Yes? Yeah? Okay, well, person. I'm using the sense of person. Yeah, I'm certainly not using the Mormon nuance here. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm using the sense of a person. You know, he's not just a force. 
He's a person. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, now you know what is restraining that he uh, uh, may, and again, he would seem to be a person, right? That he may be revealed in his own time. Uh, God's in charge of the timetable here. Uh, note that. It's being restrained uh, until he may be revealed in his own time. God's got a timeline for this anti Antichrist coming forward. So just the emphasis here uh, that uh, he's being held back until his own time. And this would be another argument that the power of God is in view because God is the one who's in charge of the timetable. Uh, always. Uh, nobody else. Uh, God's in charge. So um, again, note my next... Starting in verse 3, Paul is developing what is holding back Antichrist. It is shown to be the event of the departure in verse 3, and it is shown to be the restrainer in verses 6 and 7. I think those realities go together. Uh, The qualified departure of the Spirit in verse 3 corresponds to the removal of the restrainer in verses 6 and 7. It is this reality that allows the Antichrist to then be revealed. So I am seeing the, the idea of departure and restrainer really working together here in terms of uh, what's happening here. And, of course, uh, as I develop this, the departure of the Spirit relates to the church. Uh, The coming of the Spirit relates to the church on the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church. The departure of the Spirit relates to the departure of the church. And the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit relates to His coming and His his leaving. So, uh, note... um, Verse 7 goes on to say here, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness. Only who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Uh, so this, this mystery of lawlessness is already at, at work. Uh, the idea of mystery in the New Testament is that which would not be known apart from God revealing it. It's a divine secret that's known only by God telling us. And it's something that was previously not known, but is now being revealed. So it's not like, oh, it's, it's a mystery nobody knows. No, we know now because it's been revealed. And so he says, uh, the mystery of lawlessness. Uh, I take it, he's talking about this uh, coming climax of lawlessness under Antichrist. Um, that is now being revealed in terms of what's, uh, what's holding it back. But uh, this uh, lawlessness that will be experienced under Antichrist, that comes to a climax in the, in the temple where he goes in and declares himself to be God, uh, that's where it's ultimately going. And we know that's where it's going because the Bible reveals it to us. Uh, this is kind of the, the height of lawlessness. When you claim that you're God, uh, you don't go by any other laws. You are the law, right? I mean, you are in charge. This is the ultimate in lawlessness. And uh, so this is the mystery that's now being clearly revealed, even the things that he has brought out here that are, you know, not really brought out anywhere else, that he will go into the temple and declare himself to be God. I mean, he's just brought that out in verse 4. But this this lawlessness, this height of lawlessness, this mystery of lawlessness, he says, is already at work. The spirit of rebellion that will define Antichrist is already at work. I think we see it everywhere in our world today. just fighting against uh, the law of God, the laws of nature that God has put in place even. Uh, Even to the point where it's so bizarre, we even defy who we are in terms of our gender and so forth. It's insane. This is really uh, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness that defies the law of God in every way possible. And we see it already in place. 
uh, already at work. 1 John 2, 18, little children, it is the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. Uh, spirit of Antichrist is certainly already at work in, in a big way. There are many, many Antichrists. Not the Antichrist, but many Antichrists are already on the scene. But then he continues there, um, only he who now restrains, again, he, uh, person, uh, only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Well, well who is this, this he? Well, again, I believe it is uh, the Holy Spirit. Uh, note my next slide here. The fact that the restrainer will be out of the midst, this is uh, Edmund Hebert, uh, and he has the Greek here, out of the midst seems rather to speak of one who is now in the midst. That's literally what uh, we're talking about. Uh, he's taken out of the midst, but he would, now he's in the midst. This seems to point clearly to the Holy Spirit who is now here in person as the indweller of saints. The indwelling spirit will be out of the midst of this present scene when the returning Christ calls the church to himself. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I think that's true. As a member of the Godhead, the Spirit is omnipresent, has always been in the world, and he uh, certainly will continue to be present during the Great Tribulation. But at Pentecost, he assumed a special relationship to the church as its indweller. After the completion of his work in the church, he will resume the relation to mankind he had before Pentecost. Again, uh, Hebert there. A couple of quotes from, from Hebert there. So in terms of uh, what's going on, we are in the church age, and sometimes people have called this the age of the Spirit. I mean, the church began with the arrival of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit dominates what the life of the church is all about. We are the temple of God. The Spirit lives inside of us. Uh, he controls us, hopefully, as we, are under the, as we walk in the Spirit. Uh, everything about our lives in, in the church. We are baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's all about, the church is all about the Holy Spirit. That's what this whole church age is about. And uh, the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Truth. Um, we are a people of truth, and the church is a truth center. At least it's supposed to be, Right? But now we have tremendous deception uh, with, this, uh, with this lawlessness when coming on the scene. Uh, theologically, I don't think all restraint is going to be removed in the tribulation period. I just think it's going to be completely removed in the sense of the instrument of the church. Uh, for example, until the two witnesses of Revelation 11 finish their ministry, no one will be allowed to hurt them. A divine restraint will be in place. I mean, nobody's going to be able to harm these fellows for three and a half years. So there is a restraint that is still in, in place in that sense. But the church is removed. I think that restraining ministry uh, throughout the whole world, through the body of Christ, uh, that is no longer in place. Um, so here's what we're looking at. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was sent. That's the birthday of the church. And, uh, of course, back here in the Old Testament, you know, we have the Holy Spirit too. Even in Genesis 6, God says, My Spirit will not always strive with, with mankind. I mean, the Spirit was at work, but there was a unique ministry that began at the beginning of the church with the arrival of the Holy Spirit coming to live in the hearts and lives of God's people. Church is completed. I take it as a kind of a reversal of what we have at Pentecost. Spirit sent, Spirit departs. And, of course, the church goes too. Uh, it's not like the Spirit leaves the church stranded here. No, nope. uh, the church and the Spirit 
uh, are involved there both in that uh, departure, which I take to be the rapture. Okay. Um, all right. Any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 8? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't know that they do get filled with the Holy Spirit like we do today. I do think there's going to be a ministry of the Spirit. Uh, even before the day of Pentecost, Christ said, you know, uh, the Spirit is, is with you, but he will be in you, he says in the Gospel of John. Well, there was still the Spirit interacting with people even before the day of Pentecost. And so I think it will go back to that kind of arrangement. I think the Spirit will still be at work, uh, but it's not, there's not going to be that restraining ministry through the church, that influence through the church uh, that is happening now. So there's going to be some distinctions, but Spirit's still going to be here. So I just think we're not going to have the church. There is a unique ministry to the church that's going on right now that won't be in place. Uh, They're not going to have uh, what we have in the church age, that's for sure. And I think it's going to be a lot of... When we read about those people who get saved in the tribulation, largely they die. I mean, when we read about that innumerable amount of people coming out of the tribulation in Revelation 7, they have died. So some are going to be, survive it and come into the kingdom and repopulate. We know that. So there is going to be some that survive, but many, many, many of them will die. I don't know that you're going to be having a lot of uh, open uh, church, quote-unquote, church meetings. won't be church, but, you know, assembly of believers. I mean, as you go along, it's going to become more and more dangerous second half of the tribulation, the great tribulation. I mean, it's going to be totally outlawed. You've got to have allegiance to the beast if you want to buy or sell. So it's going to be a horrible time for sure. Uh, did you have your hand up, Vince? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Amen. Right. Amen. That's right. <laughs> you're right. It's good to reinforce because you're right. I'm getting there, but that, that's exactly the parallels I see too. Amen. Very good. All right. Anyone else? Okay. Let's have somebody read verse 8. Anita, did you have your hand up? I don't want to pick on you. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Okay. Verse 8. Okay. Thank you. Then the lawless one will be revealed after the restrainer is removed. So, uh, there's first the uh, removal of the, of the Spirit's restraining ministry through the church. I like to say that all together. And then the lawless one will be revealed. I think there's a short window there. I don't think there's going to be this long lag, this huge vacuum that goes on. It might be a short window, but I think it is a short window. 
and then uh, the lawless one will be revealed. Uh, he's going to fill that vacuum. And so note my next slide here. Here's what we, Vince was talking about, the restraining and the revealing. You have the departure, man of sin is revealed. The restraining uh, uh, that he may uh, be revealed. Uh, and then the restrainer removed, then the lawless one will be revealed. So we see these parallels here, the departure, the restraining, uh, and then the, the man of sin being revealed. Uh, so, yeah, this is the, the parallel that we see here, the departure and uh, the revealing, and the restraining and the revealing. Okay, um, I guess I got one more slide here. Before the day of the Lord can come, which is synonymous with the revealing of the Antichrist, uh, there must first be the removal of the Spirit's restraining ministry working through the church. The conclusion is that this necessitates the removal of the church. The conclusion is that it is impossible to be the day of the Lord while the church is still here. It's like Paul saying, you as a church are still here, so you can't be in the day of the Lord. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, we're still here. Uh, you know, we're not going to be left behind, not as a true church. And so uh, uh, after um, the restrainer is removed, then the lawlessness, lawless one will be revealed. And again, note uh, his person here is emphasized. And I do run into this where people say to me, I don't know that uh, uh, this, this idea of Antichrist is accurate. I think it's uh, you know a force or something. But note all the way through here. The man of sin, verse 3, uh, the son of perdition, verse 3, exalts himself. He sits in the temple. I don't know how some kind of a force or whatever sits in the temple. Uh, it's a person. Uh, showing himself that he is God, clearly a person. Uh, he will be revealed, verse 6. He's the lawless one, verse 8. And uh, whom, whom the Lord will destroy, uh, verse 8. So all the way through here, we're talking about a person uh, for sure. Uh, then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the, with the brightness of his coming. Uh, it's interesting. His career is pretty short-lived, you think about it. I mean, he's got seven years. Really, three and a half years where he has full sway. I mean, he got first three and a half years, the Jews still worshiping in their temple. And you got the two, uh, the two witnesses breathing out fire. And nobody wanted to get in the way of that. I mean, so there. But then, of course, he puts them to death. And that changes everything at the mid part way of the tribulation there. But it's short-lived. In one verse, we go to the lawless one being revealed to being destroyed by the breath of the Lord at his coming. It all happens in one short verse. It's not like, well, we got paragraphs and paragraphs before we finally get to the end. No, one verse. <laughs> he's revealed. He's destroyed. Uh, his, his career is, is not very long. And uh, notice uh, what's going to happen. He's going to be revealed. He's, he's a lawless one. And I think he's revealed uh, in a huge way when he goes into the temple. For the Jews, that will be very clear. I don't think they get it. At first, when you have to sign that seven-year covenant, they don't understand. This is uh, the one that Daniel spoke of, the abomination of desolation. But they will get it when he goes into the temple, into their rebuilt temple, and declares himself to be God. Boy, that will be a major uh, revealing to them. But uh, then uh, note what happens at the end. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. His coming here is a second coming. And uh, metaphorically, his breath is, is his word. 
You know, I, and I think Jesus is going to say something like, go straight to hell. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, we don't have to wonder about it because Revelation 19 tells us, I uh, saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him. who sat on the horse and against his army. Boy, that's, that's pretty, you know, got a really big eagle, right? To, here comes the Lord in glory, great glory, as we see in Matthew 24 at the second coming. And they have the audacity, okay, guys, let's get together, let's fight against him. He's coming. Eh, how's that going to work for him? Not so good. Then the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who were worshipped. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with, uh, uh, burning with brimstone. Lake of fire burning with brimstone. So, um, okay, here's the coming of Christ. And uh, they're gathered together to make war. They're taken down, cast into the lake of fire. So, in effect, that's why I say Christ is going to, you know, consume him with the breath of his mouth. In effect, he's going to say, go straight to hell. Yes? Yeah. <clears throat> well, it gets really complicated when we start dissecting the Trinity, right? I mean, here, here we're talking about Jesus, uh, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy with the brightness of his coming. We know we're talking about the coming of Jesus here. So it seems like we're talking about the breath, you know, his breath. Uh, and again, I think it's metaphorically uh, we know the Lord is coming as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the conqueror, coming on the white horse. Uh, how do you dissect, you know, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in there versus the Son versus God the Father? I don't know. Uh, yeah, the Trinity, you know, that's what I mean. You know, the, the, the God, God does this, obviously. Um, so I don't know. I can't go any further than what this, the verse says. Clearly, it's attributing this to Jesus. Jesus is going to do this. So, but yeah, but you're right in what you say. I mean, the Spirit is described that way. I mean, the, the word Spirit, pneuma, means breath. I mean, one of the things it can mean, right? So, yeah. Okay, um, short-lived. Uh, note, again, this happens at the second coming. Uh, destroy with the brightness of his coming. This is a relationship to the, the second coming, the glorious coming, the brightness of his coming. All right. Any other thoughts there before we move on? Yeah. 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 You know, it seems to me like, yeah, there's not, not a lot of space between here and here. Right? I mean, then the beast was captured. It's like, oh, man, after a great, after a great battle, the Lord finally just bears. It's kind of like when you got arm wrestling, you're going back and forth. No, no. Boom. He's down. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's have somebody read verses 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? 9 and 10? Yes, Jeff. Okay, these are interesting verses too. Uh, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. 
again, he's the lawless one. Uh, he has no regard for God, his law. And again, when you make yourself out to be God, you're the law maker now. And he will change laws, as it talks about back in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, one thing about God is he's in charge and he sets the rules. Uh, and uh, he, he's, But he's lawless. He has no regard for God. He makes himself out to be God. He is the lawless one. Uh, the, the one who has no regard for God or, or any other higher law. Uh, he's the law, this a lawless one. Uh, and notice uh, what is behind him. He comes with power. He comes uh, according to the working of Satan. He's, Satan is clearly behind this. Um, and, uh, you know, we think about, uh, you know, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out, uh, you know, godly lives, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so forth. But he comes according to the working of Satan. And what is Satan's thing? Certainly not, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Deception. Powerful deception. Uh, and even the things that he does powerfully are to the end to deceive. The goal is to deceive people here. Uh, so he comes with, with uh, the working of Satan with all power. He has the power of Satan behind him, even in terms of the miraculous things that he will do. And that relates to signs. Signs uh, are one of the words that are used to define miracles. Uh, many other signs Jesus did in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, John says. Uh, in the book of John, miracles are defined as signs. They're pointing to something. Well, he comes uh, with uh, signs uh, distinguishing him uh, as, wow, in terms of supposedly supporting his claims uh, to be God. He's got signs to back it up. I mean, false prophet calls down fire from heaven and so forth. I mean, boy, this is, there's something going on here. There's some kind of power going on here. Absolutely. Uh, and I think he will, these signs uh, will be uh, supposed proofs uh, for his claims. I mean, he makes these claims, but then he's got these signs that will be supposed evidence. But notice, it's all a lie and lying wonders. Wow, isn't that something? Lying wonders. Uh, wonders are things that amaze, things that go, make you be in awe. But they're lying. Uh, they, they're amazing, but they're deceptive. But they will cause people to uh, be in awe of what's happening there. Do you want to say something, Albert? I know you're just biting at the bit. Yeah, go ahead. That's right. And that's where I'm going here. <laughs> it's fine, though. I, it's good. To, it's good. Uh, notice here, the language speaks here of supernatural, miraculous power. Signs speak of something that marks him off or distinguishes him from others. Wonders are things that amaze, cause awe. The language of power, signs, and wonders is the very same language that characterized Christ's miraculous ministry and that of his apostles. Makes sense, right? Because who is this individual? What do we call him? The Antichrist uh, means against or instead of. You know, he's the, the false Christ. Uh, but he is, this is his claim uh, to uh, be the Christ. Jesus said that during uh, this time, false Christ and false prophets would show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This would be a time of great deception. 
Just as power, signs, wonders verified the ministry of Christ, so Satan will seek to demonstrate validity through Antichrist. After all, Antichrist is Satan's substitute for Christ. So again, uh, it makes sense. Uh, Antichrist comes in his own name. Jesus says, I've come in my Father's name. He came with the full backing of Scripture in everything in accordance with uh, the Father and uh, the Father's name. And you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. So he comes just, you know, basically saying, I, I am God, believe me. And, and he comes with his, his demonic signs, but uh, not a really uh, in accordance with prophecy, not like we have with, with Jesus Christ. There are huge amounts of professing Christians that are so shallow in their thinking and theology that they think God is just about random miracles. He is not. True miracles in the Bible are not random. They are signs that buttress and point to scriptural truth, especially concerning the Messiah. Now at the end of the church age, there are great volumes of people who get all excited about supposed signs, wonders, and miracles, but at the same time have very little deep Bible knowledge. I think that's a setup for Antichrist. Um, you know, people go, like, oh, something's happening over here. Whoa, whoa. Well, maybe we need to look at what is the context here. Uh, the writer of Hebrews in 6.5 connects miracles proper to the age to come. That is the kingdom age. Then they will be the norm. They are not in our age, which is not to say God cannot supernaturally do anything he wants anytime he wants. God works through prayer, and the norm in the church age following the apostolic era is to work providentially. So I, I, my issue when I, when I get into this whole discussion is I have a problem with somebody claiming to do sign miracles. I think sign miracles were unique to Jesus Christ and the apostles. That's what they were doing with sign miracles. That's not happening today. Um, maybe deceptive miracles. That's what's going to happen under Antichrist. But God works providentially. Not that he can't. Again, I'm not wanting to limit God. He can do anything he wants. But I don't see sign miracles being the norm throughout the church age. They were unique to the apostles' ministry and that of Christ. Yeah. Okay, you first. I'm coming to your church. Let's see this happen next Sunday, bud. Uh, in fact, I'll give you a couple of weeks. Let's see. I'm really interested in the dead being raised. Uh, especially interested. I'll take you down to the morgue anytime you want. You know, I'm personal friends with Mike Hoy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Spirits moving the continent of Africa. Yeah, in a unique way. Yeah, far away. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Amen. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Amen. And there, there is kind of this, you got a whole segment of supposed Christianity so given over to signs and wonders, even called a whole signs and wonders movement. It's kind of like, well, what are we talking about here? I don't doubt that there's a phenomenon taking place there sometimes, supernatural stuff, but is it of, of the Holy Spirit? 
You got people out of control barking like dogs and everything else. And like, oh, yeah, that lines up with the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. You know, falling over and shaking like you're out of your mind. That, that really lines up with self-control, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and just all kinds of craziness, really. And you, but you dare not speak against it. They say, you blaspheme the Spirit. There, you're in really big trouble here because this is the Spirit. And they go on like that. Yep. Okay. You thinking I'm going to get there? Maybe. Okay. Well, you're right. I am going to get there because that's the next verse. <laughs> yeah, amen. That's, that's right. Uh, let's go there uh, because that is where we need to go. Uh, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish... And the reason is because they did not uh, receive the love of the truth and it might be saved. So uh, the career of Antichrist uh, builds on deception. The whole thing is about deception. With all unrighteous deception, and that's the only kind of deception there really is, is unrighteous deception. But note the, the emphasis, with all unrighteous deception. Uh, you know, uh, Prior to uh, the coming of Antichrist, uh, there are going to be the two witnesses uh, on the scene, powerful witnesses. The whole world's going to be aware. When they die, you know what the world does? The whole world celebrates. They knew what they were about. Their witness was a worldwide witness. You got the 144,000 that are, you know, uh, going to go forth. And, and so there is going to be a gospel witness that is going forth in the world. Notice he goes on to say, among those who perish, these who perish are going to be deceived. Help. Next slide, please. Thank you. I did need you. Prior to Antichrist claiming to be God, a tremendous gospel witness will go forth in the tribulation period. The reason multitudes on earth will be deceived by Antichrist is because they have rejected the truth of God. That's why. Uh, the language here is interesting because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. That is the important qualifier as you bring out. Uh, notice uh, the onus is on them because they rejected the truth. They did not receive the love of the truth. This indicates they had opportunity. They had opportunity. It's not that they didn't have uh, any opportunity. They didn't receive the love of truth. That's the idea. They didn't welcome it. This, this is willful rejection. Willful rejection of the truth. And this is the reason they are deceived. Uh, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Here's the nature of saving faith, as we see earlier in 1 Thessalonians. This reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. That's the idea, to receive warmly. Uh, not as a word of men, but as in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you who believe. This is uh, the nature of true saving faith. They refused to respond in that way. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. This is why they are judged. Let's finish out. Uh, anybody want to say something before we do? Yes, okay. Right. So, so they, so they were not 
I agree. The human responsibility. I, I, I agree. You cannot, you cannot throw away human responsibility. The onus is totally on them here. Totally. I, I agree. Uh, okay, let's go to 11 and 12. Let's finish out. I'm sorry. I, I, okay. Uh, you want to read or you want to say something? Okay, go for it. Go for it, brother. Just to pick up on what Vince was emphasizing here. For this reason. This is the reason that God sends them strong delusion. It's like, oh, God just didn't, he's just picking on them. No, there is a context here where they were flagrant in their rejection. They did not receive the love of the truth. And because of this, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. God's going to allow them to be deceived. You know, really, apart from God's gracious uh, intervention, if God just lets people go, they're they're gone. Uh, That's what uh, Romans 1 is about. He gives them over uh, three times, gives them over to a reprobate mind. Uh, God's going to give them over in a sense. He he will send them strong delusion in that he will allow them to be deceived. And why? Well, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. I mean, the onus is totally on them here. This is total personal responsibility. You say, well, well, God just didn't elect them. Ah, that's not what the Bible's really saying here. The emphasis is human responsibility here. And it's because of this that God will send them strong delusion. That they should believe the lie. Uh, This is uh, the real issue here. They believe the lie because of judgment. Yes, next slide, please. Some have said this means that all who clearly heard the gospel prior to the rapture will have no more opportunity to be saved. However, the context, should we dwell there a while? The context relates to Antichrist lying wonders and embracing of him. So while rejection of truth may include pre-tribulation rejection, it seems primarily to deal with the rejection of God's truth within the context of the tribulation period. God is going to put before the world a clear test between the truth of Christ and the lies of Antichrist. In fact, I see the first three and a half years building to this ultimate climactic period. Got the two witnesses, got the 144,000 Jews, uh, evangelists. You got a tremendously powerful uh, gospel witness. Now what are you going to do? Antichrist goes and he declares himself to be God. You've got clearly the truth that's been presented. Now you've got Antichrist claiming his thing. There's going to be a clear test. Which way are you going to go? And God, if, if they reject the truth, God's going to allow them. Uh, multitudes upon multitudes are going to take the mark of the beast halfway through. And uh, I believe that is, to, that is the lie. Notice that they should believe the lie. Definite article. A specific lie. I think the specific lie is what he's been developing here. This whole mystery of lawlessness that finds its climax in Antichrist going in and declaring himself to be God. That's the ultimate lie. And they will buy it. Strong delusion that they would believe the lie. Next slide, please. It is right at the midpoint. This is Ryrie, Charles Ryrie. It's right at the midpoint of the tribulation just before Antichrist declares himself to be God that Satan is allowed by God to do something unprecedented. This is a strong delusion sent from God. 
At this point, Satan is actually going to be allowed by God to bring Antichrist back from the dead. I think that's true, uh, having taught through uh, Revelation 13, 17. It says, Antichrist receives a mortal wound and is then healed. It says that the world marvels and follows him. I mean, seriously, uh, this is going to be very powerful and very deceptive, very convincing. Um, Next slide, please. Thus, a strong delusion is the resurrection of the Antichrist, which results in the great lie of his claim to be God. I think that's the ultimate lie. And I tell you, it's hard to argue with the resurrection. I, you know, I say, just, I just can't believe that the devil... Uh, strong delusion. Very powerful. Uh, lying wonders. Uh, he will claim to be so great, even to be able to defy death. Now that, my friends, is powerful de- deception in the superlative. Uh, and the world will buy it, and you can see why they will. But uh, the reason God allows it is because they first rejected the love of the truth, as, as we have talked about. Then to the end that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth. This is why. Again, we see the reason they did not receive the love of the truth. Verse 10, they did not believe the truth. They're hardened in their rebellion. So God says, okay, I'll give you over. I'll I'll let this strong delusion, this ultimate lie where Antichrist claims to be God and the devil brings him back to life to deceive you. But I would say, you know something, uh, even, even what the devil does has a biblical context here. We know about this. We know what's coming because God has told us. And, but these people will be sucked into this because they did not believe the, the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Next slide, please. I'm going to roll through my last slides here real quick. Unbelief here is shown not merely to be an intellectual issue, but a moral issue related to the heart where commitments are made. They choose not to believe the truth because that would have affected their sinful pleasures. Had pleasure in unrighteousness means they willfully uh, choose it. They willfully chose it. Uh, Next slide. So the deception, uh, the issue, deception versus truth. Lying wonders, verse 9. All unrighteous deception, verse 10. Strong delusion, verse 11. The lie. Uh, Verse 10, did not receive the love of the truth, did not believe the truth. So again, onus is very strongly on personal responsibility here. Um, Next, okay. Yep. Right. That's right. And, and I would emphasize, uh, you know, none seeks after God on their own, but God, when he puts the truth right in front of you, you are accountable for it. You are, you are responsible for it. And I go clear back to, in my theology, back to Cain as a fallen man. God presents to him, uh, sin wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. Cain didn't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm you know, uh, God, I, I can't help myself. I don't think that's going to fly before God. There's personal responsibility there. Yep. I realize that the context is talking about during the tribulation, but this inclusion of people rejecting the truth doesn't really mean different than where we are now. And, I mean, you can go back to even Pilate where he asked Jesus, what is truth? And, and so we see today people, truth is relative, and it's my truth, and whatever we 
Amen. And in kind of a in, a in a worldwide way. I mean, God's day of the Lord is worldwide stuff. The whole world is involved here. But yeah, I think the nature of saving faith is always the same. The nature of rejection is the same too. And so there are some principles that apply all the way through here, for sure. This isn't just like, oh, this just applies to the tribulation period. Um, people go to hell for the same reason now uh, that they will then. Uh, because they rejected the light. They rejected the truth that, that they have been given. Okay, one more slide. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you helping me out tonight. Uh, there you have it. This is what the world is coming to, and the world doesn't even know it. Uh, the world is on a collision course with Antichrist and the day of the Lord and unparalleled satanic deception. But that can't happen until the restraining ministry of the Spirit through the church is taken out of the way. That is the rapture. So... Um, yeah, there, there you have it. That's the whole ball of wax. Anything else as we wrap up here tonight? Good discussion. Okay, let's go ahead and share a few prayer requests, and then we'll break up in our small groups and have some time in prayer. Anybody?